today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Last Thursday, the uh, Ford government had their fall economic statement. Uh, in fact, Friday morning, we had the finance minister, Vic Fidelli, on the program to explain some of the uh, initiatives. Uh, controversial initiatives, too, I think is a very apt description of that. One, of course, was the uh, elimination of the Francophone University that uh, they had committed to during the election campaign, uh, which uh, has certainly caused a great deal of uh, anger and frustration among the Franco-Canadian community, uh, not just here in Ontario, but right from coast to coast, actually. Uh, I wrote about that on my blog today. But uh, another one had to do with rent controls. Uh, obviously, we have a housing crisis here in this province, and uh, rental units are very, very much a part of that. And uh, it was announced that uh, the rent controls were going to be adjusted uh, by the government. Uh, and the suggestion was that this adjustment that they were making, which is to actually to remove some rent controls and keep others in place, which we'll explain in just a couple of minutes. But the whole idea here is, well, this is going to spur more investment in rental housing. They're going to build more units. Well, there are quite a few people who are rather skeptical about that. I want to bring Adam Kitchener into the con- uh, conversation. Uh, Adam from Unlimited Residential Living joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. Adam, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm I'm doing well. I'm I'm, I'm scratching my head about this because I, I when I talked to Minister Fidelli about uh, that policy change on Friday when he was on our program, Adam, I, I asked him specifically. I said, you know, this has been tried before. They've tried rent controls that didn't seem to spur investment in the industry. Now you're going to take them away, and I, I'm. I, I guess I'm in a show me attitude right now. Show me that this is going to work. Do you have it? What are your thoughts on what they're trying to do here? I think it's a good start, but I don't think it's going to change anything because, like you said, it was done before. It didn't really create anything before. It's not going to really create anything now. Uh, the the big issue right now is the landlord tenant board and the way it is dictated now. Uh, the residential tenancies act and the things that uh, tenants can get away with that really make building apartments not really that desirable in the eyes of the of a developer. So give us give us some examples of this, because I've heard this before, even at the local level, of course, you know about the Acorn Group and, and some of the problems that are going on. And and uh, it's there's a lot of finger-pointing going on here, and I think it's causing an awful lot of, uh, of, of frustration because we're not really getting any straight answers from anybody. Well, the biggest thing is to actually develop in this city, in, the, in Toronto or anywhere, the development fees, the taxes that are involved, uh, really disincentivize any developer to build anything other than condos. And also, the price uh, of the condos these days, 25% of it goes towards uh, taxes, development fees, all that sort of thing. So if you're buying a $400,000 condo, $100,000 of that is going to the government, which really prices out a huge portion of middle-income Canadians that forces them into the rental market, which put a huge strain on the rental market. That's what's causing prices to go up, is the fact that nobody can afford to buy a home in this uh, province because of government development fees and taxes and excessive taxes of that, which means everyone's been resorting to renting apartments. Well, when you've got a lot of people renting a small amount of supply, obviously prices are going to go up because the demand is there. Yeah. Coupled out with the fact that 100,000 people move into this province every single year, uh, and, the, and then, of course, there's the other side of it, which is what I like to fight for, which is the small landlord. Us small landlords, we face uh, high delinquency, which is tenants not paying on the first, which means I'm forced to carry that tenant, uh, fi- the financial burden of a non-paying tenant for months on end until we can get them on a payment plan, stand before a board, and get a court order to 
them to actually pay the rent, which seems like common sense. But we have to go and get an order from a board in order to ask for that payment if they don't pay on the first. Uh, and that process can take months. After they continue to fail on the payment plan, you're looking at four, five, six. I've seen tenants, landlords come to me with up to a year of no payment from a tenant and before the tenant's actually evicted. And so that landlord's literally carrying a mortgage on top of his own personal mortgage and bills and uh, life expenses uh, before, uh, without any real problems given to the tenant. It, it, it's just completely a huge issue right now that needs to be corrected before developers even think about building an apartment rental in this city. It's... it's uh very poignant that you bring this up because I've talked to other people that were in a similar situation here in Hamilton, Adam, uh, that that were, as you mentioned, small landlords. And uh, it got to the point where they're so frustrated by this and so frustrated by the red tape and by the legal system, they ended up selling the properties. And even that was difficult because the tenants who were being, you know, the problem in, in their circumstance, uh, basically just, you know, they would just mess the whole property up anytime anybody wanted to show it. So it was it was their worst possible nightmare. And uh, uh, we don't hear those stories, though, and, and that's maybe why some people are saying, well, what's the big deal with landlords? The landlord is, take, uh, is perceived in the, uh, very often as a greedy, rich individual, which in many, many cases, the majority of landlords in this country are actually middle-income, hard-working people who work two jobs uh, to get their property. Uh, they own one, maybe two properties of their own, and they're just doing it to help make ends meet, and it's used as a retirement plan. Well, that's and that's, and that's the one that uh, the two people that I'm referring to here, and I won't mention their names, were in that very situation. They didn't have pension plans, so they figured this has got to be my retirement income. Absolutely. And I've literally had seven new clients come to me, which are landlords, small landlords, come to me and say, Adam, uh, this tenant owes me $7,000, seven grand on this single-family home. And then by the time I was able to get the tenant out, we were looking at another $10,000 worth of damages to the home because she completely destroyed it. So this landlord's out $17,000 and has been carrying the mortgage, actually dipped into his personal life savings and his line of credit to keep the house going. And he's at the point where he says, once we fix this house up, I'm putting it on the market, I'm selling it, which means that's one less apartment rental on the market. You duplicate that time and time again by landlords just closing up shop and saying, I'm done. The problem's only going to get worse and worse and worse for the good tenants who need a nice and affordable place to stay. Well, and it, what makes it even worse is I, I was talking to a couple of developers who wanted to speak on the, you know, the premise of on anonymity. And I said, what's the big deal? Why, why aren't you guys building high-rise units? And he says, I don't need the headache. I mean, he says, I'll be quite frank with you. He says, it's more of a pain than anything else. And he says, I'd rather not do it. To your point, he says, condo's a lot easier. You know you're going to get a tenant there. At least somebody's paying the freight for it. He says, with rental units, you just don't know. Absolutely. You can... It's getting to the point where developers, it's not worth the risk of holding a, te- holding a property for 25 years. And, and slowly paying it off through through the rental process, as opposed to a development where you can just sell the condos, wash your hands, and be done with it. And that's not that's not going to help the problem. So rent control is a nice addition. It will help, but it's not going to spur any new development. The real thing that needs to happen 
is changes need to be brought to the LTP so that if you don't pay your rent, there's serious consequences as such. We need to accept damage deposits. We need a guarantee when it comes to rent collection. And at the end of the day, the real uh, incentive is going to actually come from the, uh, from the government itself. If the government was willing to put their money where their mouth is and get serious about the affordable housing issue, they would remove all and any development fees associated with the creation of new rental units and remove property taxes from development, uh, new rental development. Those things are going to put the bug in the developers here to say, okay, maybe the numbers start to make sense. But until the numbers actually start to make sense, they're not even going to look at it. Well, we, we had the federal government's announcement a week or two ago, I guess, uh, at, where they seem to be going down that road. I don't think it's nearly as much as, as probably the industry needs at this stage. But but you're absolutely right. The only way this is going to happen is if governments get involved in this and, and, and give these guys this these incentives. And, uh, you know, we, we've had for the last 25 years both the federal and provincial governments actually turning their back on affordable housing, simply say, we don't want to get involved in that. Uh, it's going to be up to each municipality. Well, they can't afford that. No, no municipality can. Not Toronto, not Hamilton, not Ottawa, none of them. So it's about time that these guys came back to the table. But the problem is they're not asking landlords how to solve the issue. They're listening to voters. They're listening to tenants. And they don't know what's best because they keep saying rent control, rent control, rent control. That's what Wynn did back in 2017. And it completely destroyed the rental market. The prices of housing have skyrocketed, or rental houses have skyrocketed because of that. And the only way, and I've been saying this for months and months and months, the only way is to increase the supply. And how are you going to increase the supply? You've got to go to the developers, the people who actually create the supply, and ask them, how are you? How do we make this attractive to you? And it's through those items that I just mentioned. You can't go to the tenants and say, how do we make building attractive? Because they're not supplying the actual units. They are the end users. They're the beneficiaries. So if you if and if they do those things, if we oversupply the market, all of the other issues that tenants have with slumlords, rent evictions, own use evictions, um, bad uh, landlord practices are all going to go away. Because if we have an oversupply of the market, if the vacancy rate was actually at a healthy rate, it would go into a competitive bid for apartments where landlords would be competing to get tenants and not the other way around. Why, is, why isn't any government tackling this then? Why do they always come at this from the wrong end? Because the government's looking for the easy solution not the right solution. They want the quick and easy solution. It's things like when they do minimum wage, $15 for everybody. That doesn't do anything. It just drives the cost of everything up. The real solutions actually take time. They take effort, but they don't necessarily win the vote. And that's exactly why it's not happening. All right. If, if you had their ear, and, and later on today, Adam, they, they call this, all right, ball, yeah, it's ball's in your court. You tell us what you do. What would be job one as far as you're concerned? If I, if, if, when it comes to affordable housing, if you want to create affordable housing, you need to do one. You need to incentivize the developers to build the rentals. And that's either through uh, tax breaks for creating three and four bedroom units, which is going to help families. You're going to create, uh, you're going to offer free property taxes for 25 years if you build an apartment building here in Ontario. And three, we're going to wipe development fees for the creation of apartment rentals. That's going to create the incentive over a condo. That's where the numbers are going to start making sense as opposed to building a condo where there is 
a 25% charge on all developments, condos, and homes. Uh, the other thing that they're going to have to do is they're going to have to revisit the landlord-tenant board and seriously look at ways at, uh, at streamlining it, making it more efficient, so that we're not going to court for six to eight months to deal with something as simple as the non-payment of rent. It, did you pay the rent or did you not pay the rent? And make the decision, deal with it, and get it done. If I don't pay my mortgage, the bank takes my house away. If I don't pay my credit card at the end of the month, the bank starts charging me interest. The credit card starts charging me interest. Landlords do not have the same recourse that every other business has when it comes to claiming their income. I said you can rent here, on, and the agreement was you pay on the first. If you don't pay on the first, there should be repercussions, consequences, and interest that I can go after in order to reclaim that money and not have to wait a year in order to reclaim that money. What about at the municipal level? I know we've had some controversy over the last couple of years here in the Hamilton area uh, about conversions, uh, about residences and into, into multi-residential uh, units. A uh, lot of pushback from certain neighborhoods saying we don't want that going on here, but it seems to be a more popular rental form than a high-rise. At, at this point, we need to be looking at every possible solution when it comes to housing people. We have so many restrictions and bylaws and and things that it comes just down to renting uh, and creating an apartment. They make it so incredibly difficult to create supply. At the end of the day, I think of it this way. Is it going to be good with health, fire, health, uh, fire safety? If, if that's the only thing that I think should be a requirement for a new apartment. If, if there was a fire, could the person safely get out of that unit? That should be it. If the answer is yes, they can safely get out of that unit, then we should be able to speed uh, through the process of making it an apartment. They've got size minimums. They've got height minimums. They've got residential area, uh, like NIMBYism, like, oh, I don't want that in my backyard. So there's, it doesn't matter at this point. We've got way too many people looking for housing. So if I've got a basement apartment and it's just one room with a fat bathroom, make it an apartment. Let's solve this issue. We've got parking regulations. You can't create an apartment unless you have a, a, a parking spot. Or in some neighborhoods, you can't have a parking spot. It's completely ridiculous. Let's streamline this whole process. Let's get some more units online. I don't care if they're 400 square feet or 1,000 square feet, parking or no parking. The, until the market gets to a real healthy vacancy rate, the issue is only going to get worse and worse and worse. And then, of course, alternative solution isn't even that you can buy a home because home prices in this province are absolutely out of reach for middle-income Canadians. We've got people with two incomes, $100,000 incomes, and they're coming and looking at apartments. That is completely ridiculous. So how do you get that message to Queen's Park? How do you get them to, to shine the light on these problems that you've talked about, Adam? I have reached out to Queen's Park. I have, uh, I've also been working with the Ontario Landlord Watch and several different other landlord organizations. And we're reaching out to them, basically saying, let's sit down, let's talk to the table, uh, let's talk at the table and discuss real solutions to affordable housing. I don't want rents that are too high that my tenants can't afford. I can only collect on rents that tenants actually pay. So it's not in my best interest to have sky-high rents that tenants can't afford. It's in my best interest to have a thousand units at lower prices than five hundred at super high prices. 
landlords have the solution. You just need to be willing to talk to us. So we've reached out to the to the Ministry of Housing. We've reached out to our MPPs, and I've even called out uh, Doug Ford, and, and I'm waiting for him to return my call. We'll see if he does, but I'd love to actually have a conversation and tell him my alternative solutions to creating more affordable housing. So you need to be at the table. I would love to be at the table. Uh, before policies are decided. That, that, did, did, did you get the sense... The, the, the policies they announced during their, their fall out, uh, economic outlook here was really written on the back of a napkin. I mean, it just it didn't seem to be a whole lot of thought going into this. What they're doing is they're doing big headlines, they're making big news, they're making big promises, and that's what it is. It, it's the, look what we're going to do, don't look too much into the details, but this is kind of what we want to kind of do without a lot of uh, forethought being put into it. Um, I hope that is not written on the back of an Afghan. I hope that they come through with the with the end result. But I think uh, a lot of it is, is smoke and mirrors for now. But we'll see. We'll see. Adam, stay in touch with us. I appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. Adam Kitchener is uh, with a group called Unlimited Residential Living. Uh, and I, I get that, that there's two sides to this, because we've heard an awful lot from tenants' organizations, and they've got some legitimate concerns and some legitimate beefs. Uh, and just as Adam says... You know, there are some bad tenants, there are some bad landlords too. And we've seen some examples of that in the east end of the city here in the last little while when things are not fixed, uh, repairs aren't done, and, you know, the, the landlords themselves are crying poor and saying, well, we just don't have the money for it. So, I mean, to su- simply suggest that, well, it's the amount of rent, that's uh, fix that and, and everything's going to be fine, uh, is rather naive. Th- there's got to be a wholesome discussion about this, and uh, he brings up some interesting points, at least having a revision of uh, some of the rules and regulations that are in place, whether it's the Landlord-Tenant Board and the Residential Tenancies Act, and maybe, maybe have some uh, some public meetings about that. I think that's really what they're asking for here, is to sit down and listen to both sides before you decide on policy. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.